Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what I want to share with you is I've been tossing around some thoughts. Uh, I was sharing with the, the group this, this week, the prayer group. We, we meet Monday through Friday here in the mornings. And, and I love an atmosphere of prayer because an atmosphere of prayer really is a revelatory atmosphere. God is able to speak in that environment. And so, uh, you know, I, like, like many of you, I read all the time. I'm always devouring material. But it's in the place of prayer that God begins to connect dots. And so I want to connect some dots for you this morning. Uh, some of the things I'm going to share this morning, we're probably going to have to jump into next week and kind of tag those two, two weekends together to, to really get off my heart what I want to share this morning. Uh, but th- a lot of this is not going to be new stuff, but I want to connect some themes that the Lord's been speaking to us about over the last probably five years. Uh, and let me, let me jump into it this way. Uh, last week I shared with you, uh, it would have been a week ago, last Tuesday, I had just gotten back the night before from Columbia, and uh, we had left like 1.45 in the morning from our, our hotel. They picked us up, and we you know, got home about 6 that night, and I was kind of crispy. So I'd asked Gene. Gene had been, and thank you so much, Gene, for heading up prayer. And uh, he's a fireball, and he's always willing to just jump in there, and I know he does a good job. So I called him. I said, hey, would you do that? He said, I'm fishing. I thought, well, I guess I'm leading prayer. And uh, so, but I'm so glad I did because I came in that morning and as we were praying, just crying out to God for this region, I was so grieved for, for Afghanistan. I was just asking the Lord, God, what is going on? And as I was walking over here, the Lord began to speak to me. And I, I, I saw a vision, I shared this last week, but I saw this vision of this large satellite dish that was pointed towards the ground and it was encrusted in dust that had become a stone and it began to move and I knew in my spirit it was the church and as it began to turn, I knew God was at the controls and he was turning the satellite dish of the church in the direction it was intended to turn because the satellite dish, uh, and, and as it moved, it was, it, there were mirrors all over the front of the dish and I knew that the dish of the church was meant to reflect heaven and not earth. But the, the church, because of philosophies we've bought into, we're reflecting the very place we're to enlighten. We're shiny and beautiful, but we can't bring light because we're not reflecting the sun. And I knew God was doing some things. He's moving things, and he's go- we're going to reflect the sun. And I saw some of the mirrors sliding off, but God quickly replacing those mirrors. It was, it was, I'd never seen a dish of mirrors, so I thought, I'm going to look up that great theological resource, Google, and see if there is such a thing. And sure enough, it's called a parabolic dish. And it's, uh, it, it's used as, and what I was sensing, it was both able to bring light, but also used as a weapon. So I looked it up, and sure enough, there's a, you can use it at, to really focus light. And there was a guy that made his own out of an old direct TV dish. I thought, we had to do that. That'd be fun. Because he had all these mirrors on it. He held up a piece of cloth in front of it, burned a hole right through it. I thought, I could get in trouble with this. But there, so there is such a weapon. And I felt like the Lord was saying that he's going to redirect the church where it needs to be. That we were called to reflect him. And only then can 
we direct light into the world. And uh, it was, it was, and I even said to the Lord, God, why, why do you, these weird things you show me, why don't you show me something more rooted in the Bible? And I felt like he said, it's a parable. And then I looked it up and it's called a parabolic dish. I said, okay, Lord, <laughs> you're good. But one of the things that I felt like the Lord said when I was praying, and I didn't share last week, is I felt like the Lord said, many Calvinists will be heroes in the days to come. They will be those who stand strong in the coming days. I needed to hear that. And I believe there's a reason. Because I believe what the Lord was showing me is there's There's a shaking that's already begun, but it's just begun, my friend. And when the shaking is over, the church is going to shine bright. But the tragedy is there will be some who will slide off the dish because of what's coming. And the reason some will fall away is because of the type of faith they've been raised in. They've been taught that the primary responsibility they have is, how, is to walk in such a way that they're perceived as non-judgmental by the world. Now, we're not to be a judgmental people, but we are to agree with the word of God. And so the, I've just been praying into this. It was a very troubling thing to me. And so the other morning I woke up from a dead sleep with all these thoughts going through my mind. And I know when I wake up thinking, it's the Lord trying to speak to me. So I, I just pulled the blankets over my head and went into prayer and began to just pray into this thing. And the Lord began to speak to me about faith. There are really two primary expressions of faith in Scripture. And those two expressions have two contexts. And the context drives the expression. In other words, you've got to know the context in which you're living to know which type of faith to exercise. So let's pause there. Let let me take a run at it this way. One of the primary strategies of the enemy is he loves to take a legitimate truth, something you know to be true that you've seen in the scriptures. He loves to take that truth from the scriptures, lift it out of its context, put it into a context where it's not true, and then use the Bible to argue you into error. And the enemy can actually use the word of God to resist the work of God. So we've got to understand the context in which something is true. And so there's, there's two primary contexts in which this thing of faith shows up. And I'm going to show, show it to you this morning. And I'm going to show it to you from Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. So you can feel more secure, like I'm not just espousing philosophy. We really are going to anchor this in Scripture. I'll even read a few so you feel good about it. So there's two expressions of faith, both are which, which are legitimate. There's two contexts, different contexts in which these two types of faith manifest themselves. But here's the problem. Most movements or denominations, or as we refer to it around here, streams, theological schools of thought, 
We've all, we all have our background that we came to the Lord in. If you got saved here, you've been raised up under a certain stream of thought and we have our emphasis. And those, of those two emphases of faith, those two types of faith, eat, every stream tends to gravitate towards one or the other. Even to the extent that we can often negate the other expression. And so I would frame these in theological terms, kind of give you a reference point. You could frame it this way. There is the word of faith, the revival theology, and it's how we exercise faith. We believe in healing, releasing the power of God, uh, the kingdom of God, God's dominion over sickness, poverty, uh, disease, uh, the demonic, we exercise dominion. And that is a valid scriptural expression of faith. Amen? Amen. And if, you're, if you, you have doubts about that, you haven't been around here very long, or I don't know why you keep attending, because that's really where we're at. Yeah. I hope you'll stop. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm just being honest. There's that expression, the word of faith, the revival theology. And we've talked about this before, that there is... I remember when I first began to bump into kingdom theology from a revival perspective about 10 to 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago, as when I first began to hear some of these teachers, I thought, man, this sounds like word of faith, prosperity preaching. And I had been immunized against that. I had been taught against that. Now I appreciate that. Now there's, there's been excesses, but there's excesses in every school of thought. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, Amen. So there's, there's this, so kingdom theology, revival theology, and word of faith theology both tend to f- end up at the same places, but taking different scriptures to get there, okay? So we have this school of thought, and that's a valid expression of faith. We exercise our faith to overcome things. It's a, a, an achieving, receiving faith, We move mountains. We shut the mouths of lions, Hebrews 11 says. And that is a, a legitimate expression of faith. But then there's this other expression of faith and the, the school of thought that really embraces this and emphasizes this is Calvinism. Now, I was, I've never been a Calvinist. Well, to be honest, I kind of became a Calvinist for about a year after we lost our four-year-old son. It kept my sanity. I've never really been a Calvinist, but I was raised uh, in, in, when I was being trained in ministry, I was raised under the influence of some strong Calvinist leanings when it comes to our expression of faith. And what I mean by that is this one, uh, uh, anybody who familiar with Greg Boyd? He's a theologian and a pastor up in Minneapolis. Uh, he's got some great material out there. He wrote a book called God at War, and he framed the argument this way, this school of thought views our responsibility as revolt against the fall. The the world has fallen and so we posture ourselves in revolt. We're trying to overthrow the results of the fall. We're coming with the king's authority to undo the effects of sin and the fall. Amen. I'm going to amen myself if you don't, okay? That fires me up. The other one, 
The posture is resignation. And both of those, each of these flow from your view of the kingdom. Now let me just say, on Wednesday nights, we are relaunching Wednesday nights, this Wednesday night. The adults are going to meet in here for Kingdom Foundations class. We're going to get into this Wednesday night because this is very, very important. But our view of the kingdom, and we're going to spend this coming Wednesday night on this subject, but your view of the kingdom will drive how you see faith showing up. Now, we alluded to it today when when I got up to pray this morning, when when we were singing that song, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Now, what that's straight out of Scripture. And there's a progression to what is being said in that phrase. God's is the kingdom, but the kingdom is not a place. It's the dominion of God. You could replace the word kingdom in a biblical sense with the word authority. That is literally what's being said there. And we'll, we'll go more in depth on that on Wednesday night. And it's very important we understand that because if we don't understand what the Bible is talking about when we use this terminology kingdom, we come to the wrong conclusions and then we're, therefore we have the wrong response. So it's saying, God, yours is the authority, the right to rule. Only God has resident authority. All other authority is delegated authority. Nobody has resident authority but God. Any authority that we have as humanoids has been delegated to us by God through a structure, whether it's a family structure, a governmental structure, the, uh, the church structure. There are authority, there is authority, there's structure, and God delegates portions of his right to rule to man and the parables that Jesus taught show us he delegates authority and then he'll return and we'll have to give an account for how we used it. Now, how you see that working will have a controlling effect on the rest of your theology. Hang with me this morning. Your theology really does matter. You'll hear me say this again and again. Ideas have consequences. And no ideas have greater consequences than theological ones. Because your belief will determine your behavior. And if you believe wrong, you'll be behaving wrong. It may not be morally wrong, but it won't be the right response. And so if your view of the kingdom is that God, his authority is absolute control and that everything that happens is God's will and God's will always happens, then you will come to the conclusion over here here, that the expression of faith is surrender and resignation. Are you following me? So over here, it's under that belief system, if everything that happens is God's will and God's will always happens, if the way God exercises his kingdom rule is that he is micromanaging and, and orchestrating every event in your life, then what you need to do is surrender to what is happening in your life as the will of God. And it's a noble thing if you believe that to do so. Because to resist what's going on in your life is actually rebellion against God, if God is controlling everything. Are you following me? So your view of the kingdom will really drive how you apply faith. And so this one over here, this resignation, then Christianity 
becomes largely a matter of us responding to life with a good heart, not getting offended with the king as he manifests his kingdom, or not getting offended with God as he allows these things and orchestrates these things to shape us into the image of his dear son. And the fact is, there is truth to that, but it's not the whole truth. There is truth to this thing of we have to, res- we have to yield ourselves. So over here, faith is an act of surrender. It's an act of yielding our heart and trusting God in hardship and responding in that, that way. That's, that's what faith is. Over here, faith is I'm going to exercise my faith by going after sickness and disease. I'm going to partner with heaven and see the kingdom of God manifest. And we, we, and those of us in this camp don't believe that everything that happens is God's will, and nor do we believe that God's will always happens because he has delegated much of that to you and I. That's why this camp will often uh, emphasize the authority of the believer. Whereas over here, they will, they will talk about the sovereignty of God which is God exercising his authority. Over here, we'll talk about the authority of the believer, which is us exercising the limited delegated authority he gives to us. Are you tracking with me? So we we need to understand this because when we hear people talking, at times they'll say things and it'll hit us wrong. It's like, man, there's something with that just doesn't sit right with me, but we don't know why because we're not connecting the theological dots. And those are two schools of thought which really go back to your view of the kingdom. Whether you know it or not, you do have a view of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is nothing more and nothing less than how God exercises his authority. We all believe that God is sovereign. He reigns. The question is, how does he reign? Does he reign directly and therefore micromanage every detail of life? Or does he reign indirectly through delegated authority, even faulty authority that at times messes things up? Those are two different views of the kingdom. And we're gonna go into this more on Wednesday night because it's, it's crucial that we really get grounded in this and anchor this in the word so that we understand what's really going on. Because all of this, your view of the kingdom is the context in which you live your Christian life. So over here, this view that, every, that God is sovereign and that he is orchestrating the details of your life and that everything that happens is from God and God's will always happens the heart that exercises faith lives it out in surrender and says, God, I don't understand this, but I worship you anyway. And that's a noble thing. And there is a context in which every believer, whether you adhere to that theology or not, you will end up here. And this is my concern. My concern is that many of us within the revival movement have no theology for suffering or mystery. 
Emily Huffy wrote, uh, posted something this week. I want to check out her Facebook page. I reposted it. But this thing of divorcing ourselves from mystery, what it will do is if you don't have a place for mystery in your theology, you will end up offended with God. I think Emily's post was, if you don't give place to mystery, there will come a time of crises where you will deconstruct your faith. There are people who end up falling away from God. And my concern is what I saw when the Lord gave me that vision is those mirrors slipping off the dish were people who have no place for suffering and hardship and their faith not working to transform events because there's a place for both of these theologies. Now, I do not believe that God is orchestrating every offense in my life. He's delegated authority to me. And I have to cooperate with heaven according to his principles so that the kingdom will manifest in my life. He's delegated that to me. But there are overarching themes where God is either withholding some things for a season or there's things I'm bumping up against that I don't understand. And I've got to keep that heart posture that, Lord, I still worship you as good. You are good. I don't understand this, but I'm still going to walk with you. And those, those crises of our faith are what root and establish us. And if you don't have room for that, you'll end up getting disillusioned and, dis and offended with God. And so we need to realize there's these two expressions. Let's look in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 here. If I can get my computer to cooperate. Okay, look with me. Uh, let, let's look in verse 32. What more shall I say? Now, okay, the context of this passage, of course, this is called the, the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of the Faith. It, it outlines all the great exploits of these great men and women of God down through history up until this time. And he says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. And who through faith, listen to this. Now, this is revival theology, okay? Listen to what they're saying they do with their faith. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what had been promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemy armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Woo! Glory. That's revival stuff, man. This is Bible. This is scripture. That is not irrelevant. That is, God didn't quit doing that kind of stuff, okay? This is still relevant for today. To me, that is the norm, okay? That is normative. We're to, we're to press for that to be the norm. But then he shifts gears. There were others. Right in the middle of verse 35 is this shift and it brings us into this other context of faith. And if we don't understand that shift, we can be trying to apply the other faith to the new context and get offended. Or if we're not careful, we can divorce ourselves from the previous context and think the only context in which we live our faith is, and there were others, faith. Listen to what happens here. And there were others 
who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Now I want you to understand here what's being said. That there's the people that lived faith in that context, the world was not worthy of them. It doesn't say the world was not worthy of those who shut the mouths of lions, were, uh, you know, administered justice, routed armies. That's some good stuff. That's the kind of books I like to read. Those are my heroes. But the Bible doesn't say the world was not worthy of them. It says the world was not worthy of the other group of people. And, but this is a specific context. It's not that you say, oh, I'm only going to be the person that routes armies. I'll, I'll let someone else be the son and two crowd. And it's not that we say, you know, I'm signing up for the son and two crowd. And uh, someone else can route armies. No, they're both applicable to us. We need to live from both, but we've got to discern the times, discern the context, and know which to exercise. One is I'm imposing the kingdom on this situation. There are times where God will take us into situations and there is a key to unlock the mystery behind and, the, and their other's context where it's not so fun. It's not this victory march initially. What's going on there? We need to know how to apply that. We need to know how to respond to God in those times. And if you only have room in your theology for the routing of armies and my faith will overcome all hardship and I don't have to put up with any suffering in in the world because I have faith that overcomes the world, if that's your only framework for faith, my friend, you will end up disillusioned. Because when the heart, there are certain times where there's hardship and there's certain situations where God will take you into a mystery and what you usually see happen won't work. But it's because there's a higher exchange taking place. You're entering into an exchange where you're giving your victory for a greater victory. We don't have time to fully unpack that this morning. So if we don't get to it all this morning, we'll, we'll revisit it next week. But we need to understand. And, and the, 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 the crazy thing about us as Christians is we want to go to one or the other. We just want to pick one camp or the other. Many in this camp, to, to find a, a continuous Calvinist, what I mean by that is someone who's a Calvinist that believes God orchestrates everything that happens and everything that happens is God's will. A continuous is someone who believes that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit still continue to this day. It's rare to find those two things together because there's a logic to that, that, well, I don't pray for the sick because God has willed that someone be sick. Now, there, that's... There are people who are Calvinists and then they say, okay, God's God's willed that. God has allowed that for his glory and then God's gonna will me to pray for them so they'll be healed. And I admire that. 
That's, that's wonderful. But, uh, but uh, by and large, when people adopt this framework, what they do is they divorce themselves from the exercise of faith for victory and to change situations, or as Greg Boyd frames it, to revolt against the fall and overthrow it. However, the same token, those of us who are on this side have a very strong tendency to reject any form of suffering and explain it away. I would make the argument that this one will keep you from being effective in helping people because what you end up doing is counseling them, trying to comfort them that God willed your molestation because he knew best. And I've heard people told that It'll keep, you from being in a, it'll keep you from being effective. Not because they have a right heart. In fact, sometimes the people with this theology, they may believe wrong, but they have a much more noble heart because they are willing to embrace mystery and they, they stand on the bedrock of God's goodness and say, God, I don't understand why you did this, but I know this, you are good. And that is a tremendously noble thing. But it will keep you from being effective in helping others. But this theology over here, it will keep you from being mature because you won't embrace the suffering that is to grow you up. Romans 5 is very clear. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. There is no character without suffering. You can put it this way, no pain, no gain. James chapter 1. It says, think it not strange, my brother, when you go through trials of many kind, because they are sent to mature you. So he's saying the same thing in a different way. Paul in Romans 5 says, suffering produces character. James says, hardship produces maturity. Hebrews 12 says, hardship produces holiness. Same, uh, same picture. It's, it's uh, that same message. And so while over here, we can keep, be kept from being effective in other people's lives, over here we can be kept immature. And we need to embrace both because they're both in one passage. We need to grow up and embrace both sides that live in the tension of the already and the not yet of the kingdom. God has delegated tremendous authority to us. And we're going to look at that on Wednesday night. That the kingdom of God, God operates through layers of delegated authority. I will show you from the word that is both true in the spiritual sense and in the physical. But God also will lead you into mysteries where the principles that you've learned, you don't yet understand the principles that you need to overcome the situation you're in. And it, we enter into what we've talked about many times, even as of late. This, this, when you have a kingdom theology and you end up in a situation where your principles, your faith, what you know isn't working, you've got to embrace the mystery and it's called the secret wisdom of God. And if you don't have a place for that, you're left immature and unusable by God. And so we want to be, be equipped to help people, but we also want to be mature in and of ourselves so that we can bring people along. 
And both of these are crucial. And both expressions of faith are crucial. There is an expression where I'm going to release my faith on a situation where we'll see the sick healed and believe God for financial breakthrough and all those things. And God will take, if you are open to that, God will take you on a wild adventure where he grows you up in the exercise of your faith. I've, had, I've seen crazy financial miracles but the context of those happening was crazy financial need. So it's not anything I would have chosen to go into, but I wouldn't trade that, the lessons from that classroom for anything. But it was a very uncomfortable class. And God wants to lead, God wants to heal through our hands. He wants to deliver people through our mouth. He wants us to cooperate with him and use the delegated authority that he's given to us to flow through us to set the captives free and see the effects of the fall overturned in this world. That's a wonderful thing. But there's a place where we just have to simply surrender to the mystery and say, God, I don't understand this. All my prayers aren't working. My, the principles I understand, I'm walking in a mystery and it seems like I'm hitting up against a wall, but I'm not gonna get offended. Lord, I yield myself. I surrender myself to you. I say all that to say, and we'll get into this next week, God willing. But when we were praying last week, I felt like the Lord told me, that many Calvinists will stand strong in the coming shaking. And it's because they have this part down. Nobody sees everything. Bill Johnson has this wonderful phrase, what you know can keep you from what you need to know. When you think your partial revelation is the whole revelation, you are no longer teachable in that area. And none of us, well, let me put it this way. Until you are God, be teachable. Because only God is justified in being teach, unteachable because only God knows everything. He already knows it, so he doesn't have to remain teachable. Until you are God, which will be never, by the way, you, we need to remain teachable. And let's, let's hold tight to what God has shown us, but be open to the fact that what we know may not be the whole picture. Because God can give us a revelation in one area and we think it applies to all contexts and we find ourselves there's something not working in our life. And God wants to lead us along in revelation. I tell you, learning, growing in your knowledge is a huge part of your walk with God. You can't grow if you don't continue to grow in your knowledge. You got to know to grow. You really do. That's why Peter said, grace and peace be unto you through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge, understanding is the avenue by which grace comes into your life. Grace is not just something that overwhelms you. It's something that God reveals to you so you can cooperate with the principles of his kingdom. That's why David cried out, Lord, help me to know your ways. I want to understand how your kingdom works because as I understand the principles of your kingdom, I can cooperate with it and it begins to manifest in my life. Your rule begins to show up on planet earth through my life. I become a living 
living example of what it looks like, a life aligned with his kingdom, a blessed life that becomes an example to all others, that that's what it looks like when God's kingdom comes and his will is done. If you want to continue to grow in that, you've got to grow in your understanding. And we will never outgrow the need to embrace mystery. There is an element of faith that has to be expressed in mystery. And that's, uh, I, I've, years ago I read this book by A.W. Tozer, The uh, Knowledge of the Holy. The, the preface of the book is worth the price of the book. Seriously, it's a phenomenal book. But in, in one of the chapters, I believe it was the one on the attribute of God's holiness, it had this wonderful little phrase. It said, there comes a place in God where your mind must wait humbly outside while your heart goes into worship. I love that. It's like, brain, you wait here. This is beyond you. You pat it, condescendingly pat yourself on the head and go in and just worship him for the who he is. The test of offense is one of the crucial lessons that this crowd of which I consider myself a part, must pass. There's a lot of people who have powerful encounters with God and see God move and it heal, healings and so forth, but it's about the time where God doesn't fulfill their expectations that they get offended. What did Jesus say? Blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. There's a specific blessing reserved for those who will worship even when life seems to contradict their theology and they hold to God's goodness. This is a crucial thing. I believe there's more shaking on the horizon. And as your pastor, I don't want to see you be one of those people that slide off an offense. We want to be those who stand strong. So I want you to strengthen your heart that as we go into seasons of shaking, that regardless of what happens, because faith is not, the, one of the primary expressions of faith, let me put it this way, faith is not always your desired expectation manifesting. Sometimes it is. You stand in faith until it's realized. And that's a glorious element of the Christian life where you co-labor and you collaborate with heaven. You, you partner with God to see it happen. But there's other times the, the purest expression of faith is standing strong and declaring God's goodness precisely when your desired end is not being realized. In fact, it's going just contrary and you stand and declare the goodness of God over that anyway. And that, my friend, is the other kind of faith. And that's what we need. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. I hope that made sense this morning. It's very important for us to understand this. And they're both valid. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for each one of these this morning. And Lord, I'm asking, God, that those who are in the midst of a mystery, Lord, those who are on the other side of the line of Hebrews 11.35, and they've entered into that time of testing 
and mystery where they don't understand what's going on. Lord, I ask that you'd grace them and strengthen them this morning. Lord, to declare your goodness in spite of the fact that things aren't going the way that they would like to see them go. And Lord, I pray for those who have simply camped out there and are living a life of resignation. God, that you'd give them a revelation this morning of the tremendous authority you've bestowed upon them as a believer. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.